0: Chapter 7 of In the Land of Cave and Cliff Dwellers by Frederick Schwatka. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7 Southwestern Chihuahua Among the Cave and Cliff Dwellers in the Heart of the Sierra Madre Range. That night our camp was in an immense pine forest on the crest of one of the high peaks, and here we parted with our Mexican friend Don Agustin Becerra to whom we had already become deeply indebted and who found it necessary to hasten on to his father's mines at uriki which we were to make more leisurely there is a widely dispersed variety of pitch-pine in these mountains which may be said to be the candles or the lanterns of the natives of the country the night scenes in the pitch-pine states of the south have long formed themes in prose and poetry but those states are in the flatland coasts of our country with no scenery to give any of the strange weird effects of a broken land at one camp i made on a high potrero i saw such a scene it was in a little flat place in the mountains where the grass was good for the mules but where the water was far down the precipitous ravine or box canyon that opened out by a gorge to a great barranca as deep and wide as the grand canyon of the Colorado. A half dozen men at a time, all with pitch pine torches, descended after water, or to drive the mules to and from water. As they cut long slivers of pine, eight to ten feet in length, that blazed for two-thirds to three-fourths their length, the strange effect on the wild scenery stretching for miles can be more easily conceived than described to have put it faithfully on canvas would have made the reputation of any artist and the equal of which i have never seen vera my camp in the himalayas seemed almost tame by comparison the great wide sombreros glittering with silver for even the common peons of mexico have more costly hats than the four hundred of new york The bright red foliage of the manzanillas and the madrono trees rendered doubly lurid by the reflection of the torches, the sharp rocks of the canyon in battlemented and castellated confusion, stretching off to the mighty barranca 5,000 to 6,000 feet deep, really made up a picture that not one painter in a thousand could have done justice to, and not one could imitate on our third day out we crossed a most picturesque stream called the panascos river near the crossing were a number of huge irregular boulders lying at the foot of a sculptured cliff under those that formed cave-like recesses were a number of tarahumara cave dwellers looking absolutely comical in their wide-brimmed straw hats of coarse grass and their primitive breech clouds their skins were so dark-colored that had it not been for this white clothing at the two termini it would have been hard to make them out in the dark deep caverns into which most of them fled upon our approach a recently occupied cave of these strange earth burrowing savages could nearly always be told by the stains of ascending smoke from the highest point of entrance to the cave if the cave has been abandoned for any length of time the rain soon wipes out this sure sign of habitation we passed a large number of caves with funnel-shaped smoke stains leading up from the outside but the silence of death surrounded them as if human life had never been within a mile of the place but i have not the remotest doubt that there were a dozen people inside of each peeping at us from around the dark corners having heard our approach and fled in time to keep well out of our sight. Nothing is noisier than a Mexican mule-packer, and the mountains are always resounding with his pious shouting to his lazy, plodding animals as he urges them on. So I considered it very lucky indeed that we saw as many of the living cave and cliff-dwellers as we actually did, so excessively shy are these poor, timid creatures." one of our mexican packers tried to buy a sheep of one of the civilized tarahumaris a little further on but he would not part with one for any money although apparently having plenty to spare many of the pueblos of the civilized tarahumaris are really isolated communities raising all they need for food from the soil or wool for clothing or both from animals of the chase and consequently seldom buying or selling That same day, we passed La Sierra de los Ojitos. It is a high, shaggy mountain covered to the very top with a dense forest of pine and indicates where its waters divide to the east and west. On its slope that we faced, its rivulets poured their contents into the Gulf of Mexico, while from the opposite slope, they go into the Pacific Ocean, or rather its great Mexican arm, the Gulf of California it is the highest point of the sierra madre that we encountered on the trail and i found it to be twelve thousand five hundred feet above the level of the sea with la sierra de los ojitos towering some two thousand to three thousand feet higher on our left i camped that night in a picturesque box canyon which i named carrillo cajon after the governor of the state of chihuahua who had done a great deal to help with the expedition, and with all the local authorities in the different parts of the state that I might visit. We camped at the first available point we could find, and even here slept at an inclination of some thirty degrees to the level, the mules grazing nearly overhead above us, and occasionally rolling a stone down on us during the night. This part of the Sierra Madre has a great deal of game in it, but the most essential things to hunt it with would be a good pair of wings, things that, unfortunately, travelers never have. There are many white-tailed deer in the well-wooded valleys, but a brass band would find them before a Mexican pack train as it makes much less noise. In fact, this is true of nearly all kinds of game that can be frightened off by the lung power of man. There are also many bears here, but we saw none nor any fresh signs of them it is said by those who ought to know that there are two kinds of bears in the sierra madre range lying between chihuahua and sonora the common black species and a huge brown kind that must be i think the cinnamon or the grizzly bear so common farther north the Tarahumara natives hunt the deer in a very singular manner but they leave the bears alone as their weapons the bows of mora wood are not strong enough for such an uncertain encounter the jaguar or mexican spotted panther is known as far north as this but seems to keep to the warm lands or tierra caliente which restricts it to the low plains of sonora and sinaloa just west of here the endurance of these savage sons of the sierras in chasing deer is wonderful They take a small native dog and starve it for three or four days till it has a most ravenous appetite. Then they go deer hunting and put this keen-nosed, hungry animal on the freshest deer trail they can find. It is perfectly needless to add that he follows it with a vim and energy unknown to full stomachs. Fast as a hungry, starved dog is on a trail that promises a good breakfast, he does not keep far ahead of the swift-footed cliff-dweller. Who was always close enough behind to render any assistance that may be required if the deer is overtaken or a fresher trail is run across i should say the dog is always liberally rewarded if the hunt is a success if night overtakes the pursuers they sleep on the trail and resume the chase as early next morning as the light will allow once on the trail however the deer is a doomed animal although its pursuers have been known to sleep for two or three nights on its course before it was overtaken especially if the fleeing animal knew in some way that it was pursued long before it was overtaken once overhauled a series of tactics is begun so as to divide the labor of the pursuit between the dog and the man but to give no corresponding advantage to the deer wide detours are forced upon the deer by the swift dog each recurring one being easier to make, and the pursued animal is brought near the man, who, with a loud shout and demonstrations, heads off the exhausted animal every little while and turns it back on the pursuing dog, until finally, in one of the retreats, it falls a temporary prey to its canine foe when the man rushes in with a knife, soon dispatches the game early one morning we could hear wild turkeys calling from one cliff to the other but as these were over a thousand feet higher and steeper than the leaning tower of pisa i suddenly lost all the wild turkey zeal i had brought along with me for the trip then again if a commander leaves his pack-train just as they are getting away he will surely find a delay of an hour or two on his hands for which it would take a dozen turkeys to make amends There is a plentiful supply of game in the Mexican Sierras, however, for any sportsman who wishes to devote his attention directly to that pastime, as shown by the big scores the natives make when they go on a hunting trip. Early next morning, we made a start from our camp on the canyon side by the light of the pitch pine torches, and climbed over and out of the deep gorge into a more open country where the sunlight could penetrate here the trail was of velvety softness and we surprised a number of cave dwelling indians sitting and standing about their homes among the big boulders the only garments they had on were ragged breech cloths of cotton but some had the extra adornment of a strip of red cloth about their shocky black hair the air was intensely cold so much so that we were wrapped in our heaviest coats but these savages apparently did not feel the cold and if they shivered at all it was probably at the sight of us for their fear was quite evident and it was plain they longed to beat a retreat to their huge rocky homes but they stood it out till we passed and then in an instant they vanished before this day's march was ended we passed through a little tarahumari mountain town called Turo. it was in a small circular valley and on all sides were the steep high peaks of the mountains Here the Indians had tried to raise a few apples, but the trees were gnarled and twisted, and the apples not much larger than those of the wild crab trees, although much sweeter to the taste. Of course, there was no store of any kind in the little settlement, and if Mexicans, passing through the place, wished to obtain anything from the Indians, their method was to take it, placing whatever they considered its equivalent in silver before the Indian, and leaving it for the latter to accept. If asked to sell any of their produce or set a price on it, the Indians stolidly refuse, even though the price may be two or three times greater than they could possibly obtain at the nearest Mexican mining town. They know nothing of the value of gold and paper money, they utterly refuse. Silver is the only money they will take, even in this reluctant fashion. Upon reaching Cusihuriachic, i found that my winchester rifle had been left in the stage office in Chihuahua. i sent back word to forward it by the next stage to karichik but as the next stage did not arrive at that place for four or five days we would have just that much start on it in the mountains and we therefore at that place engaged a Tara Humari indian boy to bring it whenever it did arrive the gun reached karichik at noon of one day and early the next forenoon the young Indian appeared on our trail with it, having made the distance in one night and a little over half a day. Of course, he must have used many shortcuts across the country, of which we were ignorant. Nevertheless, it was quite a feat, for the distance traveled by us was about a hundred and ten miles. From Caria Cajon, where our last camp had been, to the westward and southwestward, the scenery steadily becomes grander and more mountainous, Until the Grand Barranca of the Uriques is reached, it fully equals the Grand Canyon of the Colorado at any point on its course. Long before, indeed, on our southward march, beautiful vistas break to the right and the left, and especially to the east. About five o'clock one afternoon, just as we were emerging from a dense forest of high pines and little thinking of seeing stupendous scenery, we suddenly came to the very edge of a cliff fully a thousand feet high, and from which we could look down four thousand to five thousand feet on as grand a scene of massive crags, sculptured rock, and broken barrancas as the eye ever rested on. It was already late in the afternoon, so I determined to remain over a day at this point, and devote it to camera and canyon this camp on the picturesque brink of the gran barranca i called camp diaz after mexico's president the gran barranca of the urique is one of the most massive pieces of nature's architecture that the world affords it is quite similar in some respects to the grand canyon of the colorado and this is the nearest to which i can compare it in the united states the latter grand as the scenery undoubtedly is soon tires by its monotonous aspect of perpendicular walls and of traveling any distance while the gran Barranca could be followed as far as it deserves the name of grand and every view and every vista would have some startling and attractive change to please the eye it is a cross between the grand canyon of the colorado and the yosemite valley if we can imagine such scenery after seeing both were the urique river navigable Fortunes could easily be made by transportation lines carrying tourists to and fro, provided even only one terminus connected with some well-established line of travel. But unfortunately it is not navigable. No amount of money could make it so, and all tourists or travelers who are afraid of a little work or roughing it will miss one of the most magnificent panoramas it is simply impossible to crowd into a pen and ink sketch or a photograph any adequate views of this stupendous mountain scenery it is rather a feel for an artist who will put the product of his palette and brush on heroic sized canvas and make one of the masterpieces of the world the heart of the andes or the crests of the himalayas contain no more sublime scenery than the wild almost unknown fastnesses of the sierra madre of mexico From the cliffs we were on, among the pines and cedars, we could look far down into the valley of the Uriki with our field glasses and see the great Pitahaya cactus, a product of the tropical climes. In between were the oaks and other products of temperate climates, showing us in a huge panorama nearly all the plant life from the equator to the poles. We sat on the bold, beetling cliffs and could drink ice water from the clear mountain springs that threw themselves in silvery cascades below and view the river far down in the valley, a perpendicular mile below us, the waters of which were so warm that we knew we could bathe in them with comfort. Away off across the great canyon were lights, as evening fell, beaming from the caves of the cliff-dwellers on the perpendicular side of the mountain truly, it was a strange, wild sight. One of the lights that was raised, as sailors would say, in the evening, was in what seemed to be a perpendicular cliff on the opposite side of the mighty barranca, as near as we could make out in the gloom of the falling night. Its position was located, and, surely enough, on the next day our conjecture was verified, for we could see a few dim dottings showing caves, while to the main one led up a steep talus of debris that tapered to a point just in front of the entrance strangest of all but a little way down the side of this very steep talus so very steep that one would have had much difficulty in ascending unless there were brush to assist in climbing we could easily make out with the help of our glasses that corn had been planted by these strange people it seemed as if the tops of the dwarf plants were just up to the roots of the next row of corn above them if they can really be said to have been planted in rows at all much as i would have liked to visit the place the condition of my mules and the state of my provisions made it clearly out of the question moreover i was informed that better chances to see the cliff dwellers would present themselves before long which statement fortunately was soon verified not far from camp diaz was a place where we could have tied our braided horsehair lariats together and led a person down one hundred to two hundred feet into the tops of some tall pine trees and from there gain the first incline which though dizzily steep i think would have led by a little alpine engineering into the bottom of the big barranca four or five thousand feet below and thence an ascent could be made to the caves of the cliff dwellers BUT THERE WERE OTHER AND MORE POTENT CONSIDERATIONS WHICH I HAVE GIVEN THAT PREVENTED OUR ATTEMPTING THIS ACROBATIC PERFORMANCE WITH THE CLIFFS AND CRAGS AS SPECTATORS. WE MIGHT SAY THAT WE WERE NOW OUT OF THE LAND OF THE LIVING CAVE-DWELLERS AND IN THE LAND OF THE LIVING CLIFF-DWELLERS, ALTHOUGH THE LATTER LIVE IN CAVES IN THE CLIFFS. BUT I MAKE THE DISTINCTION BETWEEN THE TWO, OF CAVES ON THE LEVEL OF THE GROUND IN THE VALLEYS OR ON THE SIDES OF THE MOUNTAINS AND CAVES IN CLIFFS OR WALLS the latter are reached by notched sticks used as ladders or as i saw in a few cases by natural steps in the strata of alternate hard and soft rock and up which nothing but a monkey or a sierra madre cliff-dweller could ascend many of these cliff houses in the caves and great indentations are one hundred to two hundred feet above the water of some mountain stream over which they hang like swallows nests Truly, they are a most wonderful and interesting people, well worth a large volume or two to describe all that is singular and different in them from other people, savaged or civilized. One of the most distinguishing characteristics of the Sierra Madre range, and one that will attract widespread admiration in the near future when this country is better known, is its wonderful rock sculpture i do not think i exaggerate in saying that i passed hundreds of isolated sculptured rocks in one day all sketches fail to give an idea of these beautiful formations they must be seen to afford a conception of their beauty and grotesqueness undoubtedly they outrank all other ranges of north america and as far as i can learn of the whole world Even the Garden of the Gods in Colorado is flat in comparison with some of the many miles of glorious rock formations in these grand old mountains. The trail from Camp Diaz to our fifth camp in the Arroyo de los Ancalitos along the western side of the Gran Barranca of the Uriqui was as picturesque as the most poetical imagination could conceive. The trail wound up and down the steep arroyos and along the edge of the high cliffs, giving views of unsurpassed beauty and grandeur. That night we slept for the last time under the somber pines and listened to the whippoorwills, for the next night we had descended 7,000 feet and were among the oranges and palms, the parakeets and hummingbirds. End of chapter 7